Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Tomball, a community that's radically focused on Jesus. There are 66 books in the Bible, but to understand sin and redemption through Jesus, you must start from the first book, where God breathed life and set the stage for the unfolding story of His living word. Join us as we go through the book of Genesis in this sermon series titled, Grace Upon Grace. Amen. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Give the Lord a hand as you sit down. Man, wow. Thank you, Vicey Worship. Thank you, Jared, for joining us and leading us so well. Uh, it's an honor, it's an honor to be in this place and worship the Lord alongside of you. Uh, we have a lot going on today. Uh, if you look in the back of the room, I'm just going to direct you real quick, and we're going to get to more of that in a moment. Uh, we we have um, many, many ministry partners uh, across the city and across the world and opportunities to serve there. And we're going to get there at the end of our service today. We even have an um, opportunity with a, um, a ministry partner who's going to share a little bit as part of our service um, uh, a little bit later on. And so it is really, really fun. And it'll be a great opportunity for you to um, maybe take that step that you need to take to say, my life isn't just about me. It's about me extending the grace of God that has been given to me into the lives of others. And these are really partners that will help us do that well. Great steps along the journey. So that's a little highlight, a little preview, a little teaser that we'll be getting to here in a moment. Um, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship Tomball. My name is Kevin Bear. If we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here at this campus. And you have joined us in the study of the book of Genesis whether you knew it or not. So if you have a Bible or an app on your phone, get to Genesis chapter 4. This is the easiest search of a Bible, uh, Bible search you'll ever make. Just go to the beginning of the book, flip a couple pages till you get to a number 4, and that's where we are. Let me read for us, pray, and then we'll jump in. It says this, Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for an opportunity to study it um, and see um, at one level the, the, the catastrophe that sin brings. But Lord, I pray that as we study your word, we would also see the hope that you were bringing to the world. And so Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to connect with you and understand um, our role in your story and your path of redemption. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I've told this story before, but uh, when I was in college, I went with some friends to, to Colorado, and we were living in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, in that time in Boulder, we were living in, in someone's home that they were kind of leasing out, so there was no furniture in the home, and so we just brought sleeping bags and gear, and we were just going to sleep on the floor and whatever we could find in this house, a very, a very college move. And, uh, and when it came to day two that I was there, my friend said, hey, let's go cliff jumping. And so I said, okay, I'll go cliff jumping with you. And they drove us to uh, this area. And, and because the guys had been there a little bit longer than I had, uh, they had actually spent all of their money or most of their money. And they said, hey, let's take your car. You've got a full tank of gas. And so I said, fine. And so we all hopped into uh, what was my mom's car and, and made our way up this journey, uh, up all of these different kind of uh, mountain switchbacks that you're driving up. And so we get to this point, we do our cliff diving thing. It's fine. It's fun. A story for a different time. And then we start working our way back down. And so as advice, one of my friend's roommates said to me, okay, to make it a little bit easier on the way down, instead of giving it gas, just put it in neutral and ride the brake, which as a flatlander from Houston, the only overpass I'm going on is, I mean, that's the biggest hill that I hit, right, that, that, that overpass. But in Colorado, if you drive there, there's a better way to drive. It's called using the engine to slow you down. So normally you go to a lower gear and let that slow you down as you go down these switchbacks. Uh, but I didn't know that. I listened to my dumb friend. And and so I just stuck it in neutral, and I just start riding the brake all the way down this mountain. And so we get to a point where we're almost to the bottom, and I start pressing the brake, and it's giving me nothing. In fact, I push it all the way to the floorboard, and I've got nothing. And I look back at my idiot friends beside me. I'm like, there's no brakes. There's no brakes. And they're like... Well, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, we're coasting, like, into an intersection. I cannot stop. And they said, is there an emergency brake? I'm like, I don't know. It's my mom's car. And, I, and, the, and so finally I see it. I slam on the emergency brake. I come skidding to a stop right underneath the stoplight. And then I kind of coast my way around and, and parallel park using that emergency brake. And I look at this moment and I ask myself the question, what went wrong? Well, what went wrong was, was many things, but if I could sum it to one thing, is that I didn't know how this car really worked. And when I was separated, when I was disassociated from how this car was intended to work and intended to slow down, the whole thing went into wreckage. And the reason I start there is because that's where we are in the book of Genesis. There's a way that God has designed life to work. There's a way that he has laid out things to function. And, and when we get those things off, the world gets broken. As we've looked at the past three weeks in the study of Genesis, chapter 1, we saw that God created the world good and he blessed it. Every time he created, it was good, it was good. And in Genesis 3, though, we see that brokenness entered the world. Sin. The, the, the temptation of Adam and Eve was, was to eat from a fruit and they could be as God. Literally, they could be their own God. And from that moment, when humanity turned from, from being ones that worship God to, to receive their life from God, the world began to break. And this is the first moment we get that next moment of sin, and it's between two brothers. And in this section, um, I'm going to be going quick this morning because we have some other highlights we're going to give. 
but I'm going to show us that we have two boys with two offerings, two conversations, two lines that show, that demonstrate the brokenness that the world is going into. And in this, I want, we're going to look at four things. We're going to go quick, so you've got to buckle up. We're looking at the heart of worship, the growth, the growth of sin, the grace of God, and the challenge to care. The heart of worship, the growth of sin, the grace of God, and the challenge to care. Now, as you're studying this particular section of the Bible, it's easy to turn it into a morality play. To say, don't, Cain wasn't a nice guy, and because he wasn't a nice guy, he killed his brother. Be a nice guy and don't kill your brother. That's the kind of simple play that you can do within this. But that's, that's actually not what God is primarily trying to communicate. What he's showing us is that when there's a break in our relationship with God, it spirals to brokenness in all other areas of life. That's what we see. And it begins with two boys. It says in verse 1 that Adam knew his wife Eve, and it doesn't mean that he had the right information about her. It means that he was emotionally and relationally connected with her, and he was doing what God had told him to do. You, you can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Like, you should go together and, and have this beautiful relationship, and they do. And she gives birth to her first son, and she named him Cain. And that word is interesting, uh, and, and even the phrasing that that she uses in this moment because she says, I have gained someone. And that word gained in Hebrew rhymes with Cain. And so in many ways she's saying, um, I have, I have, God has gain, given me something to my gain. I've gained something. And she says re- something really interesting about this boy. She says, I've gained a man. Now, in Hebrew, what you would typically say is the same thing we would say in English, which is when you have a baby, you say, I have a baby. That's what we would say. Oddly, she says, I've gained a man. In the same way that God created man out of nothing, she's saying, and God has blessed me and I have created a man. And so you see in this very on, there's a lot of hope that Eve at least has, the two have, in this man that would bring something to the world. There's, there's something within that statement that's, that's very interesting. I have gained a man with the help of the Lord. And then she gave birth to a second son and she called his name Abel. And his name is very different. It's, it means fleeting, like a vapor. And you see, that's true within his life, that he, is, he very much has a vapor of a life. And we see these two boys, and it says that as the course of time went by, Cain brought forth a, an offering to the Lord of fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain and his offering. And you see that these two boys, at the start, they look very similar. They're born from the same parents. They both have the same basic knowledge of God. And it says as well that they had two different occupations, two jobs. So one uh, was a tiller of the ground and the other was, was a shepherd of a flock. He cared for the sheep. And so in many ways, they're just two boys growing up with very similar life experiences. But then this moment highlights there's a difference, there's a divide between these two boys. And it comes in the moment of worship. And what we see is that there's a difference in the hearts of their worship. It begins as these two men, two boys come together, they bring an offering to the Lord. One brought um, an offering of grain, the other brought an offering of 
of meat. And so what's, what's interesting about these two offerings is that there's all sorts of debate you could have about this. I mean, what's happening in this moment? That God has regard for Abel's offering of, of the lamb and his fat portions and not of the grain offering of, of, of Cain. Is it because that God likes meat and doesn't like, you know, vegetables? He's like not a vegan. He's just like, I'm more of a meat eater. And so he's just like, what are you bringing me? Is he freaking out? Like, is that what's going on? Well, no. As you look in Leviticus, both are legitimate offerings. In fact, it says of them that it's, it's a mina, it's a, it's, a, it's a legitimate offering before the Lord. So the, the content of the offering is not the problem. What was brought is not the problem. There's something else that's going on in this moment. There's something a little bit different that's going on. And the difference is this, it's the heart attitude of these two men. Robert, or sorry, Kent Hughes says this, the difference was their heart attitude. Cain came to God on his own, self-prescribed terms, but Abel came on God's terms. And you see it in the description of their two offerings. Um, Abel's, or Cain's offering was, was a portion of what he had gained from, from his, his kind of crop growth. He says, hey, I'm going to bring this to it. And it's more of a token offering of, of hey, God, here's your tip. Abel's offering, it says this, it describes that he brought the fat portions of the best that he had. Some commentators write it this way, the fat and the firstborn mean that Abel gave his pick of the flock. He says, Abel gave the best that he had and Cain gave an appropriate offering. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, kind of gives us insight into what was really going on. He says this, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, still speaks. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. How was one offering an offering of faith and one not an offering of faith? And this gets right to the heart of what faith is. And that's what the author of Hebrews says. Hey, one offered an offering of faith, the other didn't offer an offering of faith. And so, and so okay, what, what is the difference between these two offerings? How do, we, how do we look at this more clearly? Well, faith is this. It's not only a belief in the right information. And it's not, e- it's not even just the right actions. See, these two men had the right information about God. And they, had, they both had the right action to make an offering to God, to, to give something as, a, as, a, as an overflow to God. But, but what was different between these two men is that one's heart was truly given over to God. The other one wasn't. He gave the best that he had. He gave all of himself. Whereas Cain said, hey, this is the tip that's your due. And it's the heart that's the heart of worship that matters most to God. And so I, you see this in, in the life of, of Jesus. There's a moment when Jesus is walking through um, th- this temple area, and he sees a, 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 a one woman who drops two pennies into the offering, and he says to his disciples, hold on, wait, did you see that? And the guys are like, what? She dropped in like two cents, like what's the big deal? And he said, look, all of these other people are dropping in out of their abundance, but this woman out of her poverty, gave all that she had. That's commendable. See, when you come in here on a given Sunday morning, it's not about just what you do. 
It's not going through the right motions. It's not doing the right things. What God is looking at and what he's most interested is in your heart for worship. Do you truly love him? Do you truly offer yourself to him? Are you truly here to seek God and know God? And as you raise your hands, as you sing these songs, as you study these words, is it about knowing and growing in your love for God? Or is it about something else? David, when he's confronted, says it this way in Psalm 51. He says, for you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You, God wants you, your heart towards him. And listen, you want this too. Um, there's a 90s movie, a little romance movie that came out several decades ago, so I'm very dated. And in that movie, there was, a, there was a girl who was in love with this boy, and so she wrote him a love poem to kind of communicate her love to him. And so he received that poem. He's like, great, but he wasn't all that into the girl. And then later on in the movie, he takes that same poem and reads it to another girl. And first girl overhears it. Uh, y'all, y'all already reacted. You're like, oh, no, 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 no. And at one level, you'd be like, well, well, what's the problem? It's just words on a page. No, no, you just ripped out that girl's heart, right? Like she was communicating her devotion, and you took that, and you showed devotion to someone else. Like, like that's just wrong. That's just evil. That, and we would say, don't do that. That's wrong. Heart, intent matters. The same is true in your relationship with God. And the heart of worship of, that Cain was saying, hey, this is a tip, For Abel, it was total devotion, and so God accepted one and rejected the other, and here's the the tragedy within that. As you see the hearts really play out, and when their response, when Cain's response comes to his rejection from God, and you see the growth of sin. In verse 6, it says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. Here's what we see in the growth of sin. Three steps. We see an internal, personal struggle. Then moves to vengeance that grows. And lastly, sin that spreads. It begins first with this internal, personal struggle. And then that internal personal struggle, it's something that's really not seen by everyone else. I mean, Cain's face fell, but no one else says anything. But then God gives this opportunity to confront him and says, hey, your face fell when when I didn't accept your offering. He says, I want to take a moment, Cain, and I want you to just evaluate your heart. If you do the right thing, hey, you're going to be lifted up. But if you don't do the right thing, here's the tragedy of sin, is that it's crouching at your door and his desires to overtake you. See, God invites him, hey, confess. Come here, talk about what's wrong, give that opportunity to confess. Hey, confess your heart, but there's a warning. And the warning is this. Sin isn't something you can control. Sin isn't something that you can have like a pet. He describes sin as like crouching like a lion seeking to devour you. Its its desire is to overcome you. And that's the truth of all sin. Sin always starts small, but moves to be out of control. 
In the 1980s, there was a movie called Roar written out. And I was looking through Netflix at random things that I should probably not watch. And so I'm looking at different stuff. And they showed this film, Roar. Now, if you're not familiar with the movie, I'm not encouraging you to watch it at all. I'm just telling you, I'm illustrating a point. They wanted to make a movie about a family that was living in Africa that suddenly got attacked by all of these African animals. And what they found is you could rent animals, but that gets pretty expensive. So what they decided to do was to raise these animals and live with these animals and have them roam through the house. Full lions, tigers, leopards, just roaming around, just hanging out, right? And what happened? Well... It was the brainchild of Tippi Herodin, or uh, Hedren, and her writer-producer, Noel Marshall. Throughout the, sh- the shoot, um, Hedren was bitten on the head by a lion. Marshall was bitten many times and developed gangrene. Uh, Gr- Griffin received stitches on her face and almost lost an eye after an attack. And the cinematographer, John DeBolt, almost lost his entire scalp to a lion. An injury requiring over 200 stitches. Over 100 injuries were occurred in the making of this movie. They call this movie the most dangerous film ever made. And I would say someone needed to go, hey, look. (laughs) That line ain't your buddy. (laughs) That line is vicious. And it looks at the, the squishy thing in front of it. And it says, I will take you down. And listen, your sin is the same way. It starts small and manageable. But if you try to caress it, if you try to raise it, if you try to just say, hey, this is just my pet sin, it will grow out of control. And many of you have experienced this with a porn addiction or alcoholism or maybe it's just that flirtation with that man or that woman. It starts small. It's something you can manage. And what God is saying to you is, hey, listen, sin is crouching at your door, and it's seeking someone to devour. Are you trying to pet it, or do you see the problem with it? Are you going to deal with it? And Cain doesn't. Verse 8, it says, he let the seed grow, and then he invited his brother Abel out to the field, and he plans premeditated murder. His vengeance and jealousy got out of control. And that's the, that's the real thing. He says he became jealous of his, of his brother Abel and his relationship with God, and he let that, that jealousy and that bitterness and that anger fester and grow to a point it exploded in a, in a terrible, terrible act of vengeance. You see, that's, that's, the, that's where sin always leads. James says it this way, let no one say to you when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he himself attempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're lured and enticed by their own desires, then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. All sin follows this same path. And it may not be that you commit murder, but you may, you may destroy your marriage. You may destroy that relationship. There's, there's a cost when we let sin grow, and that's what God is trying to show us. When you, grow, when you let this thing grow, it's going to overtake you. And as you continue reading this account in Genesis chapter 4, 
they trace the line of Cain to seven generations. Seven in, in the Old Testament is that number of completion. We saw God create the world in seven days, and he rested on the seventh day. And all throughout this text, you see this, this repetition of the word seven. In fact, Abel, is call, is, his name is listed seven times. He's called a brother seven times. And they trace the line of Cain to its seventh generation, and you get Lamech. Lamech who says this, which is a, a great uh, description of what happens, what, what does the culmination of sin look like? It says, Lamech said to his wives, he took two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Man, he's a, man, come on. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is revenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77 what you see is a sexual perversity and a violence in terms of human history. That's what you see. He wants supposed to take two wives. God, at the beginning, gave Adam one wife. He didn't give him a spread. He said, you got one. And this man says, you know what? I'm going to take what I want. I'm going to do what I want. They got one. I'll take two. And look, I killed a young man for wounding me. He struck me. I killed him. And if Cain's avenged sevenfold, I'm going to be avenged 77-fold. And you see that sin spreads and it escalates. And I don't have to sell you on that. In the month of January, there were 69 murders across the United States by gun violence. I mean, just in the month of January. And I don't have to communicate that. You just read the newspaper. We see that sin has spread and is dangerous. But but is there any hope? Well, actually, we do have several moments of the grace of God through this story. The first movement of the grace of God is this, is that God moves to confront sin. At the beginning, when it first starts in the heart of Cain, God moves to confront him. That is a gracious act. He didn't judge him immediately. He says, Cain, here's an opportunity to confess. And when Cain doesn't confess, he comes in um, after the murder. He comes in a second time. And then it says, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Which is a different response than what Adam had when he was confronted. I mean, at least Adam blamed. He went like, hey, the woman you gave me, like she did it. And, and, and Cain's just playing dumb. He's doing what a theological term that we have is called lying. That's what he does. But God gives him an opportunity to repent, and he doesn't. And he says, then there's going to be consequences. You're going to be a wanderer. He says, what have you done? His, his blood calls to me from the ground. Now cursed is the ground become, because of you. And, and he says, you're, you're going to receive punishment. You're not going to be able to, to harvest like you, like you were called to do. And then Cain has the audacity to say, my punishment is too great. It's too great. It's too big, God. You've overplayed it. Buddy, you just killed your brother. He's saying you can't work the ground. Like, it's too great. Do you do that with God? Say, God, why, why, why did you do this to me? Why are you being unjust to me? Well, what, what would have been just to take his life? But instead of taking his life, he says, okay, Cain, you'll receive a sign on you and you'll be protected the rest of your days. That's the same sign that he actually uses um, later on in Genesis, talk about the sign of the bow in, in the skies. It's a sign of protection on Cain. Hey, you're not going to die. 
And you see that even his line receives the common grace that they make a city. You see instruments and, and, and culture being formed. They receive the common grace of God. And then we see the grace that every one of us needs. There's another boy that's born. Verse 25 says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Cain. And she says, God has given me a seed, a new seed that's going to bring healing to the world. Not that I created a man, but God has given me a seed. And you see, there's two lines in the Old Testament. There's the line of Cain and the line of Seth. The line of Cain that brings destruction and the line of Seth where these people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And in, in saying all of this, there's, there's so many points that I could direct us to, but I really want us to focus on, on what First John points out in this section. And really that's going to be an opportunity to hear how we should respond to this truth. In First John chapter 3, John pulls out this story to make a point. And his point is really centered on the question of, of really Abel's response, or Cain's response. When God confronts Cain, he says, where's your brother? He says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? How should have Cain responded? Oh, I know exactly where Cain is. And I did not help, I hurt. Verse 11 of John, 1 John chapter 3 says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you, for we know that when we have passed from out of death into life, because we love the brothers, whoever does not love uh, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that he murdered, he who has, who, no murder has eternal life. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The, the truth is this, when you have come to your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a blood that is spilt for you. And it's not like Abel's blood that cries out for, for justice or vengeance. It's a blood that demonstrates the righteousness of God that's been paid. He was slain for you to cover all of your sin and all of my sin. We don't seek vengeance. It's been paid on the cross of Jesus Christ. But there's a next challenge to that. To say, as I see needs around me, as I see people around me, what's my response to them? Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, is yes. If you've been blessed by the love of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to extend the love of Jesus Christ. And that's really why we want to highlight some of our ministry partners because um, our, our vision of, of Bayou City Fellowship um, Church is to have a radical focus on Jesus and we're doing that this morning, every morning, every week, every day. But also we want to serve the city and the world. And so I want to invite up Josh and one of our ministry partners, the elders, to come forward. We give them a hand as they work their way forward. 
And as, as, they, as they come forward, um, they're gonna, Josh is going to do a little interview, a little Q&A with them uh, real quick. So there's actually going to be a video to, to, that talks a little bit about their ministry, and, uh, and then they're going to come forward. So, so let's play the video. Well, good morning, Bayou City Fellowship. I am so excited for this morning for lots of reasons. One is that you get to meet some of my friends, uh, Laura and Glenn Elder. If that video doesn't put a smile on your face, I don't know what will. Um, But Laura and Glenn, they met uh, doing ministry together in in college, a ministry called Young Life, which is one of our partners that's in the back of the room you'll get to talk to later today. And they've been doing ministry ever since. They have... Five children, four of which graduated from Tomball High School, so they have lived in our community uh, for for 13 years. They are now in Brenham, and their youngest is a senior at Brenham High School. Uh, They're here, actually, Cody, Noah, and Brooke over there. Yes, give it up for all the elders. Um, They've been doing uh, ministry, camping, special needs ministry for over two decades, um, but they have made a huge impact on the community of Tomball, the 13 years they've been here. Uh, and I'm just excited for, for all of y'all to, to hear their heart and how Jesus has impacted their lives to impact people like my family. Um, so Glenn, Laura, uh, I'd love to hear, uh, tell us about Beloved and Beyond, the ministry that y'all uh, head up and, and, and lead, and tell us about it. What is it? Awesome. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. It's, it's humbling. Um, Beloved and Beyond is hard to describe. And the heart of it is sharing the hope and love of Jesus Christ with uh, kids and young adults who have special needs and disabilities. I believe that's a huge unreached people group. It would, uh, the statistics are pretty amazing. There's over 400,000 within Southeast Texas, millions in the state. And uh, we just have seen growth in the churches reaching out to those, so that's encouraging over the last 15 years. But this camp is more than that. It's a place to be loved. It's a place to be loved to others. Each week we get 110 volunteers to come serve alongside us. Young people learn to put the needs of others first. Imagine that. When I was 16 years old, I could have learned that lesson. That would have been a, a great asset to my life. But having a, seeing a young man come alongside a kid with special needs for six days when it's super awkward for the first couple of days, but by the end of the week, they're walking hand in hand, and he's like, ah, this is what it means to serve the Lord. This is what it means to be the hands and feet of Christ. So the other aspect, wow, um, of, of Beloved and Beyond. So you think, okay, great, that's a long name. Um, so yes, it's a camp. So I don't know who in this room has ever been to camp, but it's, pro- raise your hand if you've ever been to camp. All right, so this is providing that experience for all our friends that wouldn't be able to go to camp otherwise because it's a buddy system. Every special friend gets their own best friend 
for five days of their life. And who doesn't want a best friend for five days of their life? Because then it becomes safe. And the one really other cool aspect, this whole beyond part, why do y'all have such a long name? So the beyond part of Beloved and Beyond, so we have campers that have been coming to camp 10 plus years. Now they're 18, 19, and they've watched these 13-year, 14-year-old, 15-year-olds serve them. And they came up to us and said, um, so when do we get to volunteer? We're like, oh. Yeah, wait, the Bible is, does say it's better to serve than be served. That doesn't really negate you, does it? So we created this amazing program called the Beyond Team. Yeah, and Brooke gets to do it. <laughs> Brooke's 24, and she's been a camper since she was one of our first campers in 2006. She was eight years old. And um, so they come for a two-week work crew, and one of our dreams is to have a place where they get to serve year-round. Awesome. Um, can you give us a, a highlight story of someone that has been impacted? Okay, so I'm going to give you just this. There's so many. Um, but one thing, uh, one story that always comes back to mind, you know, I feel like it impacts people like y'all, but it also impacts families. Okay, I want y'all to envision, and this was... Um, several years ago, a mom and dad are brave, and they decide, I'm going to send my camper to camp. This particular young lady happened to also be nonverbal in a wheelchair um, with a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. Not all our campers are in chairs. In fact, we only have like 10 or 12 a week out of 70. And this young lady, mom and dad roll up, and they look around, and they go, um, so there, there's a water slide right there? that you like have to climb up and go down and, uh, excuse me, my, my daughter doesn't walk. How, how is she gonna get up that slide? And then they go, uh, and y'all have horseback riding? Um, so my daughter can't sit up by herself. So sh she's never ridden a horse. She's not gonna be able to ride a horse. And I see y'all do this zip line where you have to like walk up the stairs and go down the zip line. Um, my, my daughter's not gonna be able to do that. And y'all have this dance. Well, my daughter doesn't dance. I think we're just gonna go home like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. It's going to be the best week of her life. And these poor parents are like, yeah, whatever, lady. And I said, please let her stay. And my older daughter happened to be the cabin leader, and her buddy was begging her to stay. The week goes on. Mom, comes, mom and dad come to pick her up. And we are crazy, especially in the year 2023. We, we do this thing called printing pictures. I know that's a novelty, and, and we put them in this little photo book, and every single family, every camper goes home with a photo book, and their buddy writes, today we did this, and it was amazing, and this is how I saw God and your child, and, okay, so mom and dad come and pick up this photo book, and they go, wait, wait, so y'all scooped my daughter up and, and carried her up this water slide and let her splash down and laugh over and over again, and we go, well, yeah, that, that, that's what we do at camp. And wait, y'all, somebody decided to sit with her and back ride on a horse and hold her up so that she could ride a horse for the first time in her life? And we go, well, yeah, that, that's what we do at, at camp. 
And, and y'all have this special booty bag that you hook her up to that she got to be hooked up and hauled up the zip line so that she could go down the zip line like everybody else. And I go, yeah, yeah it, it was amazing. And, and y'all dressed her like a princess and scooped her out of the wheelchair and the guys danced with her and spun around so that she could dance like everybody else. I go, yeah, yeah that's, what we, that's what we do at camp because everybody deserves to have the experience of camp ministry. So I, I say that is that it, it impacts more, and this is probably the biggest thing. She looked at us and said, thank you. We had given up that our child was ever going to be able to do anything for the rest of her life, and she has not missed a week of camp since. She's now 22 years old. So that's just a baby picture of impact where, where God gives hope. Now you know why I'm so excited for all to hear from the, the elders. But what, what a wonderful picture of Christ that is, because Christ does the same thing with you and I every day, and, and we don't even realize it, how, how much he picks us up, how much he holds us, wants to dance through life with us, and give us that joy. Uh, it's such a great picture. And uh, Rhonda Easley's here. She's part of their team and, and has joined and helps them uh, actually get in this new camp ready, which you'll hear about. Um, but she, she started as a volunteer, and I, I volunteered. And it, I know how, we know how it's impacted us. Um, can you tell them how volunteers are impacted? Um. I mentioned it briefly earlier how the young people that are just learning to serve and be the hands and feet of Christ, but we, we get adults to be cabin parents. We get uh, young 13, 14, 15-year-olds to serve in the kitchen. I have mom that calls me and said, wow, what did you do? I sent my boy to camp, and he came home a man. And he just took out the trash and cleaned his own toilet. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they, then they want to come back and do it again. It's amazing. Uh, but it's a lot about just, yeah, laying down your own rights. We take their cell phones away for a week. That's a big adjustment. Lots of new things to learn about following and being the hands and feet of Christ for the volunteers. So one probably super cool story. For some reason, it seems like girls, God, many young ladies have this natural inkling just to, to caretake, right? And then our young men go, yeah, that's really not my thing. And so to watch it become their thing, because God said, I'm going to use you, blows our mind. There, there was a 16-year-old boy that literally came up, and they come a day early for training before campers show up. And he comes up to me and goes, I, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, uh, okay. He goes, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, just, I, don't, I don't think I can do this. Like, I can't even take care of myself. Like, I just work out. And, uh, and I uh, just probably am addicted to too many things. And I, I don't know if I can take, take care of my camper. And we don't pick their campers. We let them pick. They pray over their six applications. really beautiful. And I, go, I looked at him and I said, he was from a private school in Houston, had a beautiful accent, came from another. And he just goes, I go, would you be willing to let us struggle with you this week? He goes, I don't know. And I go, so I got one of our leadership guys and they walked through it. Okay, so we watched this young man, 16 years old, just 
slowly kind of laid down his rights. And at the end of the week, this is just kind of my favorite, because this is really what life's all about. He comes up to us and goes, we, we share the gospel at every single activity we do. I mean, literally everything we do, we're something about Jesus. We pray, we process, we pray, we present the gospel, everything we do, in hopes that either the camper hears it or hopefully some of these volunteers that maybe don't know Jesus and think they do, and he comes up and he goes, hey, can I, can I tell you something? Yeah, absolutely. He goes, so, so you know that thing that you were telling those campers? He goes, uh, I did that. I accepted Jesus. And I go, well, this is the best news ever. I go, what do you think your mom's going to say? Because I'm thinking, I don't even know. He goes, she's been praying for me for 16 years. I said, well, amen that you choose, chose to struggle well this week. Isn't that really what life is about? It's just struggling. So this is so, so amazing. Awesome. Uh, love to hear that, right? Um, okay, so how can we partner with you guys? All right. First off, we mentioned briefly, we did recently, September 1st, all the video you saw was renting camps all over Texas, but September 1st, we bought our own camp in Central Texas. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, he is... God is blowing us away, literally. We are running to catch up to his will. It, it's on fire. But it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in Texas. Rolling hills, tons of trees, a 12-acre spring-fed lake that is not accessible at all. So we have volunteer builders and lots of volunteer groups coming up to help us build bathrooms and paint buildings. And it's an endless list. It's been vacant for a couple of years, so it's a lot of uh, deferred maintenance we're catching up on, getting ready for summer. Um, so volunteer groups, the men's retreat is coming up. When is that? That's right. March 3rd and 4th, March the men's 3rd. retreat will be at Beloved and Beyond. And uh, we will have worship there. We'll have some learning time there. But a portion of that retreat will be helping to get the camp ready for campers this, this summer. Yeah. So uh, men, sign up. You can sign up in the back today. Alice, can we partner? Uh, so young people volunteer six days at a time. I say it's the best, cheapest, short-term mission trip you could ever find. Uh, but it's, it's a life-changing experience from 13 on up. Uh, we get recruiting college kids to be on summer staff. If you know any young men looking for a summer job that, in that role, we get adults each week. We get nurses, doctors each week volunteer. So the, it's a wide variety. We've had whole families, like Josh's family, come volunteer all together. We each, in a rule, in a, each in a role, youth groups come. So big picture is, um, we would love for y'all to join BioCity and come on their youth mission trip, along with parents as cabin parents. Um, you don't sleep in the cabin with with the campers, but you get to be that extra set and touch. And I mean, he could give you many testimonies about that. Um, Y'all, big picture is it takes an army. So say we had 60 campers at camp, we have 100 plus six-day missionary volunteers to come to make that happen. I mean, so we, it's like three to one. Um, so coming to build, praying, if you want to be on a prayer team, and that is your, absolutely your, your, your gift, um, to be able to sign up and pray for a summer staffer all summer long. What a privilege that would be. Um, we're going to have wish lists up on our website of things. Um, the, the laundry list is long, but God is able. Um, we really believe that what Psalm 139 says about he created us in our mother's womb, and God doesn't make mistakes. And some of our precious campers, 
their purpose in life is to change us. So we invite you to be part of allowing these precious campers to change our lives. Um, but also that y'all get to be part of that too, that God doesn't make mistakes. I mean, this is a body of Christ, and we would be so crazy honored uh, for you to join us in this crazy journey of special need camp ministry. And, and the camp ministry, it's all ages from, from 12, 13 up. You're, you're an adult, there's a spot for you. It's not just students. And that's why when you see on the Friday newsletter, it's under outreach uh, and, and not students. I want all ages to be there this summer. It is a life-changing experience. So that week, prayer and um, the men's retreat, helping get the camp ready and hands-on community ministry, we may take some special trips up there to help get the camp ready. Um, Kevin, could you come on up here? Uh, Elders, I'd love for you all to stand. Uh, Congregation, could you stand? And uh, we're just going to pray over Glenn and Laura and, um, and beloved and beyond. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing ministry. Thank you for the amazing lives that you're impacting, um, as, as they said, uh, an, an overlooked community. So Lord, we pray that you would move um, in our hearts to respond in whatever way you're calling us to serve, um, and that you would bless the works of their hands, you would bring the teams that are needed, you would get all the details ready, so that more and more people can he- have these life-changing experiences of hearing the gospel, experiencing just the joy and the love of the hands and feet of Jesus wrapped around them, and that you would be able to Um, have more people come to faith no matter where they're coming from, no matter what their circumstances. We thank you for their spearheading this and leading this ministry. And we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Give them a hand as they come down. I know, I know we've gone a little bit long today, but I think uh, you you can brave the weather uh, later. And so just uh, take a moment right now and and we're going to close like we always do in, in worship and response in prayer. Um, God may have been stirring something specifically on your heart uh, this morning. Uh, maybe there's um, a sin you need to confess. Maybe there's um, service that you need to engage in. Or maybe there's something else that God has laid on your heart this morning. Our prayer team is gonna come forward. Um, and as they do, our team is gonna, gonna lead us and, and that you would respond as God leads you and is stirring within your heart this morning. And, um, and we will, our team will close us up here in a moment. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with our current sermon series, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you would like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Tomball app to find community in the body of Christ.